0: Anthony, thank you once again for joining me.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Chris. It's so good be- to be with you again.
0: Let's talk about someone who was the great companion of Teresa of Avila.
1: That would be St. John of the Cross. Uh, he mm-hmm. was a still in seminary when he met St. Teresa of Avila. He was discerning about going into the Carthusians because he... His heart was inclined towards the contemplative life. Uh, He was already very gifted in contemplative prayer. He wasn't afraid of the apostolate. In fact, he'd been involved working with men dying of syphilis from the time he was a a young teenager. He worked in a hospital there in Medina del Campo. And, And so he had been with people who were dying, and he understood the importance of reaching out with the love of Christ where it was most needed. But in that work, he also discovered a great gift of prayer that he had, and, and for him, he needed a contemplative discipline of life that was going to allow him to to receive the gift of this prayer more deeply. And, and he believed, when he met Teresa Avila, and when he was going to meet Teresa Avila, that this would be with the Carthusians. But Teresa Avila, uh, that encounter with her uh, changed his mind. You probably know that Teresa of Avila was involved with a reform of the Carmelite sisters. She herself had had a conversion uh, later in life. Uh, she had, had the gift of prayer, like St. John was experiencing, but she resisted it. Uh, she, uh, In fact, what confounded her was that could have a genuine gift of prayer, but not really live a very converted life. And the disjuncture of that, the discontinuity or contradiction of that, uh, frightened her, and it made her wonder whether or not her prayer was was right. But she encountered other saints, like St. Saint Francis Borgia, who encouraged her otherwise, who, who let her know that the deepest truth in your soul is not the fact that you've fallen or, or that you're capable of sin, even repeated sin. The deepest truth of your soul is that God loves you, and if you live in that truth and are confident in it, the gift of prayer that you receive kind of works out. And as she trusted this, there were she received some great graces and she realized that the renewal of mental prayer in the church, that this was the great gift that Carmel, the Carmelites could, could offer the church at a vital time. And it's with this conviction that she went into the conversation with St. John of the Cross and, and I wanted to convince him that it was not by going off to the Carthusians, but by engaging in the renewal of, of the church through the reform of the Carmelite order, that, that he would be able to help renew the gift of mental prayer or contemplation in, in the church in, in his day. And that John the Cross encountered, like many other people at the time encountered, it's very, very difficult to say no to Teresa of Avila. She... She's a a charming force of nature and and prophet of God, And, and he listened to what she had to say. He discerned it was of the Holy Spirit, so he changed his vocation. Instead of going on to the Carthusians, he helped start the Carmelite reform.
0: What's so interesting, too, is the friendship aspect of the relationship, but also the obedience in which... Teresa, who was, can we say, twice his age and probably, you know, old enough to be his mother, yet she submitted herself to his direction. And boy, what does that say about him?
1: Yes, it's quite remarkable. You know, in terms of personality, she she was very much of a, a leader from what we know She wasn't overly sober or heavy in the way she dealt with people. Rather, she was filled with joy and life and saw the big picture and was very good at motivating people to do things they might not otherwise do. So those were her gifts of leadership and they were important gifts. But when she meets John of the Cross, the typical leader meeting his kind of person usually writes them off quite a bit. He's an artist. He's dreamy. He likes poetry. He's steeped in the humanities. He's conversant about the great works of art at his time. He loves the Holy Scriptures, and he loves mental prayer, and that's where she connects with him very specifically. His love for prayer and his love for the Scriptures and his great grasp of theology because she had encountered in her life how prayer without the protection of good theology is vulnerable to a lot of misuses and, and abuses. And so it was an unlikely uh, relationship where somebody who's a get-it-done kind of leader, highly motivational in their uh, mode of operation, would submit themselves to kind of this dreamy artist. But the, the reason why she does is she recognizes the gift that he has in the spiritual life and she recognizes that he's also a very good theologian that his spiritual doctrine grounded in his own experience was also grounded in the teaching of saint thomas and saint augustine and the holy scriptures and she was hungry for that and Partly what inclined her to have him be a, not only her own spiritual director for a time, but the uh, a spiritual director for the uh, all the sisters of the Incarnation, the the Carmelite monastery uh, that she had come from, and continue to serve as a spiritual director for various convents of the Reformed, the Discalced Carmelites that she had started. She was emphatic: the sisters in the reform listen to and respect what saint john of the cross had to say uh, sometimes uh, uh, some people because of his size he's very small and because of his age he was he was young sometimes they would not take him seriously or misunderstand him there must have been something about him that on an initial meeting rubbed some people the wrong way because through his life he's re- routinely misunderstood by a great deal of many people who think he's too serious and too heavy-handed for them and uh, and even unhealthy. And so they, he gets misunderstood a lot, but Teresa of Avila completely believed in him.
0: Like a good mother.
1: Yes, and, and a good spiritual daughter, both at once.
0: Mm. Well, it, they had, up until this point with John, they did have spiritual direction from the newly formed Jesuit order, and that was very beneficial, but it sounds to me as though From what you're saying, she was really trying to find that person who understood the particular charism of the Carmelites.
1: Well, I I think that's true. A shift historically begins to happen in the Jesuits where there's a little bit of tension around the question of what mental prayer or contemplation is. How much time should be given to, to contemplation? Even St. Ignatius' appreciation for the role of mental prayer in the life of the Society of Jesus shifts a little bit so that by the time he's in Rome, he's kind of saying, you know, as priests, our primary obligation is to build up the people of God. And so we need to have a daily prayer life, but we shouldn't spend most of our time cultivating that. We should actually spend ourselves in service and the Lord and what time we give the Lord and can make for him, the Lord will make that little bit of time we have very fruitful for his name, for his name, but we, we need to spend ourselves in love. That was a position he didn't hold as clearly at the beginning of the foundation of, of, of the society of Jesus, but certainly as he matures, this what he begins to see is the Jesuit charism. With Teresa of Avila, she understands that the Carmelites are called first and foremost to enter into deeper intimacy with God. If they have anything to offer the world, it will, it will come first because they've been faithful to their personal life of personal holiness and spending time with God. In addition to that personal holiness, they've been faithful to building up a life of holiness in their, in their communities as well. So it wasn't for the Carmelite. It wasn't an individualistic kind of spiritual life where you focused on your own personal life of prayer. It was always an idea that you're bound together in a community, supporting each other in the life of contemplation, that this was difficult work and that it required all the encouragement that you could give it. Teresa realized that, and she, I think at a certain stage she realized that as wonderful as the Society of Jesus was and as many saints from the Society of Influenced her, like Francis Borgia, that charism was a little bit different, and that they needed Carmelite priests to help the sisters receive this gift of contemplative prayer. One other side on this whole question about contemplative prayer and reform, sometimes people can look at this and see kind of competition between different religious orders and religious communities. At the time, Teresa and Ignatius. At Francis Borgia, they didn't really see themselves as in competition with each other. They saw themselves as working together for the same, uh, the, uh, the same great purpose, uh, you know, the glory of God, which involved the renewal of the life of the church. Whereas the Jesuits were looking at the mission of building up intimacy with Christ through apostolates of education and preaching, building those up in others, the Carmelites were looking at that, that same question as starting with themselves and building it up in their, their communities and letting it kind of flow over from, from their communities. That might be a, a kind of way of looking at it. They didn't really see these as mutually exclusive. You know, Throughout the history of the Carmelite Orders, Jesuits will continue to have really great uh, fruitful interactions and offer great assistance to the Carmelites. And the Carmelites, for their part, they will continue to build up the church by being faithful to this charism that John and Teresa began to to realize. Probably the one who, in the 16th century, saw the importance of both of these the best was another doctor of the church. John of Avila is not the same as John of the Cross. He lives in southern Spain. He had very early on talked to Teresa of Avila and St. Ignatius of Loyola about how not... Everybody has the same gift of prayer. Not everybody enters, has the full range of experiences that can happen in prayer. But everyone is part of the mystical body of Christ and everyone is called into intimacy with Christ Jesus. And so there needs to be, and we find this in John of Avila's letter to St. Teresa, there needs to be kind of a respect for the different ways that God works, that the Lord works and unveils himself in the body of Christ. So that you can have, we can deduce from, from this letter, you can have a community like the Society of Jesus, which is very, very apostolic, rooted in prayer, but very apostolic, and at the same time have a community like the Carmelites that is concentrating on a mental prayer and contemplation at the heart of the church, while not neglecting being apostolic as well. You can You can have that kind of complementarity. Not everybody needs to be the same in the church. But all of us need to be striving to enter into the joy of the Lord through our relationship with him and building up the body of Christ uh, through those works that he entrusts us to do.
0: Well, there's so much more I, I think we we're going to be able to break open, particularly about those spiritual teachings that were so effective and still are, and maybe in some circles, even misunderstood today, for better, for worse in some, in some ways. We'll have to, to gather again as we get, prepare ourselves to walk in those footsteps of St. Teresa.
1: It's going to be a wonderful pilgrimage. Uh, part of our pilgrimage, visit the site where Teresa and John met each other. But we'll also uh, be able to venerate the relics, not only of Teresa of Avila, but John of the Cross. He died, actually, in southern Spain. The, uh, the story is that uh, after a mm. uh, very difficult meeting, the leaders of the Carmelite community some of whom didn't really realize how much he was involved with the reform from the beginning, uh, really misunderstood John and kind of exiled him from leadership and sent him to a very remote part of Spain where the Carmelites didn't know anything about him at all. As it turned out, uh, he got down there, and as I told you, he gets misunderstood a lot, and, and they kind of understood him to be kind of a lazy uh, Carmelite you know uh, was was kind of spacey and a hypochondriac he was always complaining about his health it wasn't until it was too late that they realized that he wasn't a hypochondriac in fact he was deathly sick that he wasn't lazy in fact he had been one of the most active and productive friars in the reform of them all and but by the time they realized that and got a doctor to to try to get him back to health it it was too late and he was dying he had written a poem called The Living Flame of Love, and he wrote a commentary about that poem, and he finished that commentary and gave it to the doctor who took care of him. And in the last part of that commentary, what, something remarkable is revealed about John of the Cross and what will be part of our, our pilgrimage as we walk in the footsteps of St. Teresa. John of the Cross, like Teresa of Avila, they weren't afraid of death. They actually saw, even death, has the grace of God being revealed in a new way. Has his love and devotion for Christ burned in him and set him afire with the love of God? He yearned to see the face of the Lord. He yearned to see the face of the Lord. He was filled. Those lines at the end, the living flame shows a soul that is filled with hope. And it's that gift of hope that I hope on this pilgrimage we make together with Father Giles Demick, I hope that gift of hope gets reignited in our hearts, that we realize how much God loves us and that no matter what happens, he is with us through it all.
0: Praise God. Can't wait. Thank you so much, Anthony.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: 500 years ago, on March 28th, a great mystic, founder, reformer, and doctor of the church was born. St. Teresa of Avila. From March 27th to April 6th, 2015, you're invited to join me, Chris McGregor, of Discerning Hearts on a spiritual journey through Holy Week and Easter in the footsteps of St. Teresa of Avila in Spain. Father Giles Demick will serve as our chaplain, and along with Dr. Anthony Lillis will serve as our spiritual guides learn how you can become a part of this wonderful pilgrimage experience visit discerninghearts.com